thing is that they looked at it and they went, okay, uh, this food from the king's table has been sacrificed to the Babylonian gods and we don't want to eat that food because we don't want to defile ourselves. It sounds really good. It sounds really convincing. However, do you see what the problem is? Why would only the king's food be offered to, in sacrifice and not everything? If you read the Jewish culture, if you read the Babylonian culture, you'll see there's many different offerings, grain offerings and, and meat offerings and fruit offerings. Like everything was offered as sacri- or, or in ritual sacrifice as a ceremonial thing to say, God, you are good and we thank you. That's not a unique Jewish concept. And so to think that, okay, they weren't doing this because they didn't want to eat the meat that was offered to idols is really subjecting a very not defendable position in this. Because the vegetables would just as likely have been. And so that doesn't really make sense. And and then as I thought about this further, I came across uh, Joyce Baldwin, who's a commentator, and she had a few interesting things to say here. Here's her sentence, and I'll explain a little further. She says, to say that all the food had been offered to idols and was therefore shunned is to import a New Testament controversy into an Old Testament setting where the subject is not mentioned. That's a really interesting point. Is when we think about meat sacrifice to idols, where does your mind go? I hope 1 Corinthians, because we just spent a whole year there. Right? In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks a great deal about that. And he talks about conscience, and he talks about some of the cultural things, and some believed you shouldn't, some believed it was okay. And, and all of that gets dealt with at that point. But that's the only time that we see that. that. That concept is not in the Old Testament. And so when we read, and this is why I think it's so important that we understand the Bible as a whole so that we don't come to the Bible only with a New Testament hermeneutic and go, this is true over here, so that means this is true hundreds or thousands of years before, which is not the case culturally. So, where do we end up then? Well, commentator Ian Dugan writes it this way. They used their distinctive diet as a way of retaining their distinctive identity as Jewish exiles and avoiding complete assimilation into Babylonian culture. With this restricted diet, they continually reminded themselves in this time of testing that they were the people of God in a foreign land. And they were dependent for their food, indeed for their very lives, upon God their creator, not King Nebuchadnezzar. That's the point. Is yes, there's some dietary laws that that Jewish people probably would have been like, hey, if if we can do this differently, then great. But let's not forget here that there was no way to keep their diet clean any longer because they were in a different culture in a different land and their food was all being prepared for them. So even in the way in which their vegetables and their water is given to them probably is ceremonially unclean, almost 100% likely. So part of it was that, but more than that was we will not rely on the king. We will not do that because we rely on God and God alone. He will sustain us in this land. We will not join into this dependence upon the king. And so they stand strong. Now, we're going to take a slight, slight detour, and we're way out of my notes now, so we've got to go find this again. Ah. Okay, here we go. Verse 9, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. There's two things here, and God gave is the same verb that we talked about in the very first, uh, sorry, last week in verse 2. 
the Lord gave Jehoiakim king in, of Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. So what's the point? We talked about that. Please remember. Nobody remembers? My feelings are just a little bit hurt. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's, the point is God's sovereignty, that he is the one in control, that he is the one orchestrating things. Right? So this is not about Daniel's good looks or his charisma or his whatever else you want to put in. This is God gave Daniel favor in that moment. Now, this is the sidetrack part. Uh, obviously, you know that often we use uh, the Bible Project videos for different books that we study through or other theme videos that they make. And uh, they're a great, great organization, but something that's been standing out to me lately, just with what I've been learning and some of the podcasts I've been listening to, is they have a statement of faith that's this. The Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And that's the way they interpret everything that they go through. And that is the way that we as Christians should interpret everything, especially when we're in the Old Testament, is it's one story that's unified that points to Jesus as Savior. And if we miss that, then we're going to misinterpret what's happening here. And so what that means is we need to look at patterns and themes and connections, things that remind us back of, oh, this, this sounds familiar. This, this seems to be a repeat of something else that's going on. And then when we find those things, we'll start to read deeper and we'll start to see, oh, God is at work here, the same as he is here, the same as he is here. And as we find those patterns, as we find those themes, then what we start to see is we start to see that all of these things point ultimately to Jesus. And I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time on that this morning because that's going to become abundantly clear when the three friends get thrown into the fiery furnace. But as we think about how does all of this lead us to Jesus, how is it all unified, I want to read to you, and we'll throw it up on the screen, but I want to read to you a, a verse or, or a section that should come to mind, but probably doesn't because the Old Testament is a huge, huge book that we don't often read over and over and over. Though when we do, we're going to find way more about who God is, his character, and so on. And so if we think back, and, and maybe some of you do remember this, and you're putting me to shame, and I would love that if that's the case. But back in Genesis 39, there's a story about a man named Joseph. It says this, 39, starting in verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an, an, ossifer, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought them down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Are you noticing some similarities here? So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had from that time. He made him overseer in his house. And over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord. Uh, was on all that he had in house and field, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. So if you see some of those similarities, and if you think about this from a logical concept, you start to see not just one kind of pattern or not just this one kind of moment, but, but a cycle of things happening. The same wording is used. Joseph ends up being the one to save his people, God's people, even though he's in a foreign land. Daniel does the same. 
Joseph was a slave. Daniel was an exile. Joseph found favor with those who owned him, the same as what we just read in Daniel. Joseph is a man of integrity and will not sleep with Potiphar's wife. And what happens to him? He's thrown in prison for it. Daniel will, will get there, but Daniel will not bow down to the idol, and so he gets thrown into the lion's den. Over and over, you see these same patterns, these same things happening, and God is trying to say to us, like, pay attention here. These things are important. We're showing you some themes. Here, ultimately, this is the spoiler alert, ultimately, all of these things are pointing to the one who will save once and for all. One who will go to his death, but will die for our sins so that we could be forgiven. These characters in the Bible, it's called, it's called typification. They're pointing towards, they're a representative of Jesus so that we can see these patterns so that when Jesus comes and lives the way he does and dies on the cross, we go, this is God's plan of salvation. It's very, very clear. So that's how we should be reading the Old Testament. And, and the downside of that, I guess, is this. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of reads takes a lot of time going through and studying these characters to see these things. But when we see them, all of a sudden, a lot of our theological questions, a lot of our assumptions, a lot of the questions that might get asked to us, we will be way more clear to go to Scripture and to go, oh, here's why. Here's what it says. Here's the connection. Here's what we need to see in that. So, back to Daniel. Daniel's been given favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So, we talk a lot about, um, actually, let's skip that. We won't have time for that. Daniel finds favor and compassion. So, he goes to the guy, right, and he says, here's the deal. Would you, would you let us? And I actually think it's interesting how he says it. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight. Oh, sorry, we're, let's go back to verse 8 just so we have this. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. I think that's interesting wording. He didn't demand. He went and he asked. Favor and compassion were given to him by God, and yet the chief of the eunuchs still said, I fear my lord the king who has assigned this to me. Why should he see this? You are going to endanger my head. He's literally going, Daniel, I like you. I'm sympathetic to you. You're a good guy, whatever it is, but I will not let my life be on trial here for this. Because if this doesn't work, it's me that's going to pay the price and not you. And so in one of, uh, Mr. Tarchuckle like this, in one of Alistair Begg's sermons, he kind of talks about through this, these specific verses, and he goes, okay, so Daniel has asked, can you do this for me? And, and even though he had favor and compassion upon him, the guy says no. And so Alistair Begg goes, well, I guess then Daniel goes, well, I guess we give up and we just don't worry about it and we'll just do whatever we have to now. There's a lot of sarcasm in that. Is he a Scotsman or an Irishman? Scot? Oh, that's not acceptable then. <laughs> just kidding. So he says it's so sarcastic where he's like, just, well, I guess we just can't, we can't do anything. We'll just, we'll just do what we have to. But actually the text goes, okay, well then Daniel said to who? The steward whom the chief of the eunuchs assigned to him. Right? So he's being persistent here. And he says, okay, please let us do this. But, but instead of just a blanket request, now he says, just 10 days. Right? Just 10 days. Test us for this for 10 days. 
and then see what the appearance is, make the comparison, and then, and then essentially he's saying, then do what you will. So he's putting all his eggs in one basket in the sense of saying that within 10 days, I know that God is going to show up and he's going to show that this will sustain. It will work. This will be okay. And so we see that that's the case. 10 days come and, and they go, okay, let's, let's examine, let's look at you. And it's really, really interesting what the text says. It was, this is verse 15. At the end of those 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Now, this is not about diet. Okay? Be real clear. You can eat however, well, within reason, however you want. That's not the point. What we're not trying to say is, oh, look, a vegetarian diet is now a biblical diet. That's what everyone should be doing. Problem is that goes against all of other parts of Scripture, right? So we can't try and make the text say something it's not intending to say. What's the point? They're looking at this and saying, God will sustain us no matter what you give us. You can argue about the health benefits and you can go into all of that and, and, and there's something called the Daniel diet and it's actually a pretty neat thing to go through for a little while and experience kind of what it means to take yourself off all of these foods and rely only on this. And you can do all of those things if you want and I'm not saying any of them are good or bad. That's not the point. The point is that God is going to sustain them and that for long term, all they're going to eat is vegetables, water, now, probably within this is the idea of food that grows from the ground, so seeds, nuts, whatever, those kind of things, too, are probably in the cards. But the point is simply this. God is in control. God is sovereign. He will watch over. He will care for them. And they will have everything that they need, not from the king, but from God. So again, all we got to do is read that story several times and watch the pattern and watch the theme that's developing and not try and put in things that don't need to be there. It's actually not as complicated as we often want it to be. So this is the way that they move forward, and it says, so as for these four youths, now remember, into exile, into the king's training at about 14 years old for about three years. So they're very, very young. The in I read one commentator who talked a great deal about their integrity saying that it would be really easy as a 14, 15-year-old dragged off into exile to just be like, you know what, I'll just, I'll just go with the flow here. I'll just do what I'm, they tell me to do. I'll just eat what they tell me to. I'll just accept these name changes. I'll just do all of this stuff, whatever. Because after all, is anyone ever going to know? Anyone back home ever going to find out? Right? It could be so easy to make all these excuses. And this one commentator just kept writing about the integrity that's shown there. And of course, the rest of the book that we're going to read over the number of months coming ahead bear that to be true. They will not give allegiance to anyone other than the one true God. So these four yous, that God, notice again, who gave them learning and skill? God gave them learning and skill and literature and wisdom. So it wasn't because of their hard work that they became experts in all of these things, though they did work hard. And that's true of you and me as well. Is yes, work hard. Do the th with your best ability that you have, but recognize that the only thing that you get what you get is because God graciously gave it to you. 
Sometimes we get trapped in that and we think that as long as I work hard enough, it'll all work out. But that's simply not true. God's grace is the factor here, the, the, the telling factor of everything. Yes, we should be, uh, we should show integrity and we should work hard, but sometimes we see someone that didn't work as hard get a blessing that we think, man, we deserve that. That should have come to me, not them. Or we work super hard and then we don't get the thing that we think we should have gotten, whether it goes to somebody else or not, and we get frustrated. It's all about God's grace and what he allows into our lives. And so the same is true here. He gives them all kinds of skill in literature and wisdom. And then Daniel gets this special understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, again, if you've read Daniel, then you start to see that to, to, the, to the Babylonians, that gift was sought after amongst everything else. Because they believed, as many cultures, many ancient cultures did, that the way in which the gods communicated to them was through visions and through dreams. But that you couldn't understand those visions and those dreams. And so you needed somebody to come and to interpret those things. Now, we could probably say the same thing in today's culture in certain senses, right? Have you ever woken up from a dream and been like, whoa, what was that? And then you tell your spouse and then they are like, maybe you should go see a doctor. Right? Like our dreams are, are filled with bizarre, confusing. Sometimes they make sense. Sometimes they don't. And so for the Babylonians, the fact that Daniel was given by God this gift meant they looked at him and went, we got to listen to him. So who's in control? Not Daniel. God is at work. Even though they've been sent off into exile, even though it seems circumstantially like they have nothing left, God's going, don't worry, I got this. I'm involved. I'm going to make this all work out for your good. And what's even funnier, as I dwelt on that age, they go and they test themselves before the king, and, and what is found out? They surpass everyone. And not only did they surpass everyone in the sense of those that they were training with, who else did they surpass? Everyone else. So, these 17-ish year olds all of a sudden were standing before the king and showed more wisdom, intelligence, understanding, knowledge, and interpretation than all the magicians and enchanters that had been in Babylon serving the king for however many years they'd been serving. Do you all of a sudden start to see why all these magicians and enchanters wanted to kill Daniel and his friends? Jealousy is an extremely powerful motivator if we let it be. And they're looking at this and going, these, these, three, these four young punks who are 17, there's like nothing worse than when you go to noon hour hockey and the little kid comes and scores on you or skates circles around you and it's like your integrity is on display real quick. Right? That's just the reality. Nobody likes being made a fool of, especially when it's a younger person, especially when in this case they're looking at this going, we served the king forever. You're not even part of our culture. You're not part of our people. You don't have any, you're not qualified. And yet God goes, don't worry, I got this. No wonder the jealousy brews in the hearts of these people. And they go, we got to kill Daniel. We got to kill these other three. We got to get rid of them. They're replacing us. Do they know that God is at work? Do they see these things? I'm not sure. Now, I want to take you to uh, another verse back in Genesis. This was kind of the thesis of my, goodness sakes, how far back is Genesis? Just joking, by the way. 
just in case. Uh, Genesis chapter 50, if you want to flip there. This is kind of the thesis of one of my papers that I wrote recently. The same is true here of Joseph as of Daniel, but not only those two, but of you and I as well, and we'll see that in a moment. But all through Scripture, we see this theme happening over and over and over again. So, so Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers, abandoned. God elevates him, puts him second in charge, which sounds an awful lot like Daniel as you read through Daniel. Eventually, the Hebrew people have a famine. They're out of food. They need saving, and they go to Egypt. They don't recognize Joseph. Joseph is the one who literally has their life in his hands. And through the course of some events, eventually he reveals to his brothers who he is, and they're terrified. And he says this in chapter 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's a, praise the Lord for that. That he is in control, that even when somebody comes and tries to do the wrong thing, tries to wreck the situation, God goes, you're not in control, I am. And so I'm going to take this and I'm going to use it in such a miraculous way, but you can't help but see how ironic it is that a Hebrew saves the Hebrews and he's second in line next to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt who are supposed to be their enemies. And then we're going to see the pattern happen again and again and again over and over until we get to Romans 8. And I know I went a whole week without, maybe even two, without quoting this verse. But we go from probably my favorite verse in the Old Testament to my favorite verse in the New Testament. And it's the exact same theme. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. God is at work in your life. And when people wrong you, when you make a poor decision, when bad things happen, and when circumstances are beyond your control, it can be very easy to go, God, where are you? And that's why we need to dive back into the Old Testament to see that no matter how far his people tried to run away, God always held on. I'm still in control, he says, not you. We get into the New Testament, we see that Paul says all these things, no matter what your obstacle is in front of you, God is at work in that and he's going to use it for his good and ultimately for our good. What that might be, well, I'm not smart enough to say that. I don't have the answers for those things. But I know that as we read through the book of Daniel, we're reminded that we can trust him. That not only is he in control, but that he has got everything under control too. He is at work in your life. In the circumstances right now that you go, I don't know how this works. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't understand why you could do what you're doing. None of this makes any sense. And we can go, God, I know that you get it even if I don't. That I can trust you. It doesn't mean everything gets easy. It doesn't mean that all your situations get resolved right away. It doesn't even mean that maybe the ending is exactly what we anticipate, at least on this side of eternity. But what it does mean is we can know that I'm not alone as I journey through this. He walks with me, and he has purpose in it, and I can show honor and glory pointing towards God in the attitudes and the responses that I make to the things that are beyond my control. And again, when you get down on your circumstance, which which very well may be very difficult, I'm not trying to trivialize it by any means, 
But when we get down on those moments, we can look back to the Old Testament, we can open up the book of Daniel, and we can go, these four youths who are in their teens are being dragged off into exile, and yet they refuse to submit to the, to the king. They will always follow God. And we can go, no matter my circumstance, I can be faithful too. God has given us the Holy Spirit that we might be able to follow after him. All we have to do is submit to him. Let's pray. God, thank you for the text here, the, the, the words that are said, the themes that we see, the connections that we can make. God, thank you that you were writing a beautiful story that was all unified with one essential message pointing to Jesus Christ. God, thank you that we, that we have the Bible to read. Thank you that we can know who you are and we thank you that Jesus went to the cross for our sins. That we might have salvation, not because of ourselves, because we were not good enough, but because you were. God, thank you that you are in control of our lives, that, that nothing that's happening to us has caught you by surprise. And even if we don't understand it, even if it doesn't make sense, would you give us the faith to believe and to trust that you are at work? God, as we read, especially through the Old Testament, some of the awful circumstances that these young men and women found themselves in, you were still in control and you did wonderful and amazing things through that. And so God, I pray that whatever our circumstance, whatever our situation is today, that you would be at work in it in such a way that you would receive glory and honor and that you would bring people to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. God, help us to know that there is purpose in our pain and in our suffering and in our hurt. And God, we celebrate that one day that we'll be able to go to be with you in eternity where we won't have any of those questions anymore. And we'll be face to face with you knowing without any doubt that we can trust you. God, we love you. Go with us today. Thank you all for coming again this morning. We look forward to seeing you next week.